Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited to have Non Tenant on with us today. And Non is the creator of informationhighwaymen.com and the co-founder of superhumansales.com. And he's a copywriting expert, but he has a lot of other things that I think are really interesting when it comes to like conversion and, and sales and, and ways that you can kind of attract your tribe, attract attention, build an audience around your words, and then use those same words to uh, you know develop a, a real relationship with your audience. And then, of course sell your products and services. And before we started recording, we talked about this idea. This this is his term, vicarious transcendence. And I'm not even going to say what it is. We're going to get into that though. But I just want to say, Nan, thank you for being on In the Trenches with us. Most welcome. Glad to be here. Awesome. Well, okay. So vicarious transcendence, what is this thing? All right. Vicarious transcendence is what I call in a more colloquial term, epic by proxy. And it's essentially a way for freelancers. And I think it's the way for freelancers and entrepreneurs to differentiate themselves from the competition when what they're offering is not ultimately very different to what the competition is offering. So most freelancers, you know, take a web designer, for example, a web designer might have some unique skills, which other web designers don't have. But on the whole, what they're offering is web design. And for most clients, it's very difficult to judge who's the better web designer, who's going to be doing a better job or get them a better result. And so they tend to just basically look at the uh, the portfolio and they'll look at the pricing and they'll try to figure out, you know, this one seems like the best match for us and they'll go that way. And that's obviously not a great situation to be in as a web designer. You want to have something that's going to set yourself apart a bit more. And so I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about what is it that makes people buy things? What are the kind of underlying motivations that we have, not just as consumers or customers, but as people? And how do those motivations then feed into uh, being consumers? And the way that I have come to think about it is that people want to be in very, this is going to almost sound stupid when you put it this way, it's so obvious, but people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. And what that bigger thing is tends to diff, <coughs> excuse me, differ between people. Some people, it will be you know, a sports team, or some people, it will be a religion. It can be wildly different things. But none of us wants to feel like we are just alone in the universe and this is all there is. All there is is us. We all want to be part of something bigger and feel a sense of transcendence. And this is actually something that you can take huge advantage of as a freelancer or an entrepreneur because there are ways that you can make your prospects feel bigger than themselves by being associated with you. And if you're doing that and your competition isn't, then obviously you have a huge step up because they, they're they not just judging who's got the better services, they're judging who makes me feel better, who makes me, who makes me feel that there is something awesome going on here, something epic going on here compared to the other guys. And if you can kind of tap into that, then that's extremely powerful in not only closing more deals, but also creating much more loyal customers. And also excuse the sound of children in the background, the joys of working from home. No worries. Okay, <laughs> so there's the natural question, I think that's going to stem from this is how do we do it? But like, Yeah, how do you that, do it? Right, but before I get to that, it sounds like one, this is something that is particularly necessary for anybody who does work that may or may, like that may tend toward or trend toward like the commoditized 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if you if you have a genuine, unique selling proposition, and you're really the only person that someone can come to for that, then all you really need to do is tell them, and that should be enough to seal the deal. But if you are in something, I, I hesitate to call it commoditized because I think that there is a difference to be seen between something like shoes, for example, which are just commodity items, and something like web design, which is an expert service, but it can be very difficult to choose between the experts. Um, obviously, there are elements of web design that have become commoditized, especially with the advent of software as a service and all that kind of thing. But even when you look at, uh, you know, companies will look at the cheapest web designer. Ah, oh, look, the Philippines, there are some wonderful cheap web designers there. And sometimes it's great for them because they, they find someone who's actually good. And sometimes it isn't. Um, so if you're trying to compete with someone in the Philippines and <laughs> you have you know, 10 times the, the fee, then obviously being able to use something like vicarious transcendence is a, a great deal more effective than just trying to sell the benefits of paying more. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's a good um, clarification there on that point. And I didn't mean the word commoditized to sure. yeah, belittle yeah. anything or anything like that, but just the idea that uh, insofar as there are other people who, in so many words can do what you do and so so the the comparison is That's immediately right. present and so people are like oh okay wait a second i can get it for this or i can get this price the 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 end result seems to be the same based on the presentations okay why would i why would i hire somebody for for three times the cost that's um, right yeah okay so so that that being said okay so then we get into this idea of of doing something unique of doing something some way that there's like this compulsion to then hire that person that might be three times more expensive. Mm. So tell me what it like how then how do we implement this? Well, how we implement it is actually the subject of a program that I put together because it turned out that it wasn't all that simple to explain because it is kind of a, a nebulous concept. And I think that a lot of people actually do do this at least to some extent, in a very kind of instinctive way. They recognize that that what they're selling is not just their services is actually themselves and how they present themselves to their prospects has a big effect on whether their prospects will decide to go with them or go with someone else. So in the simplest terms, what you want to do is either make yourself a kind of a hero to your prospect or make your prospect feel like a hero or like he can be a hero. And I use the, the word hero in obviously a fairly loose sense. I'm not talking about you have to you know, be Superman to your prospect or something, but you need to be someone that your prospect kind of looks up to and feels a little bit of awe about. And I use an example um, to kind of illustrate how, how trivial this can be in some ways. I use an example of a supermarket, and we've probably all been in a supermarket, and we've gone to the, the lane where you're supposed to only have 12 items or less, and some jackass with a full trolley has gone into that aisle and he's unloading, you know, a hundred items onto the um, the conveyor belt, and you're just like, oh, you're such a jackass! I could have got through here so much quicker. And no one says anything because no one wants to be rude or everyone's afraid. And if you have someone in that situation who's like, hey, buddy, this is the twelve items lane. Can you put that stuff back and go into the other lane? He probably will, and that person hasn't done anything amazing. All they've done is just talk to someone about something that they're doing wrong, and yet they become a kind of a hero in everyone else's eyes because they did something that the other people weren't doing, 
and kind of helped them and made them feel good about themselves. This is interesting. So, okay, how do we capture that, would you say, in like things like sales pages or on our websites or something like that? Well, one of the ways that you can do it is, or what, I'm speaking from my own experience because this is my personality, but one of the ways that I do it is as um, a kind of a, a whistleblower is the wrong term because I don't want to imply that I'm sort of, I have special knowledge and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a Snowden or anything like that. But when you can speak to your prospects candidly about the reasons that they shouldn't buy from others, and you don't necessarily have to name names. But you're essentially showing them that you're not afraid to point out problems in the marketplace. You're not afraid to point out dodgy practices. And you're not doing it because you think that you're better than them. And this is quite important. You have to be authentic about this. You're not doing it because you think you're so much greater than everyone else. You're doing it because you really want your prospects to get the best deal. And you don't want to see them getting shafted by some charlatan. So that's one of the ways that I've done it quite effectively in the past. Um, yeah, being able to, um, being able to make your prospect feel that you really have his best interests in heart. Another way of doing it, which is even simpler in some ways, but I mean, that is a very simple way of doing it because obviously uh, most marketplaces do have that kind of problem. But another way of doing it, which is even simpler because it doesn't involve really having to go out on a limb is telling stories about your life and telling them in a way that is just a bit unusual. And again, I, I like to use the example of sitcoms here because people think, you know, I don't have anything interesting going on in my life. I don't have any kind of, you know, when I tell people about doing this, they're like, well, Nom, you go hunting and you used to ride a motorbike and you live on an orchard with sheep and you've got a chicken and rabbits that you eat and, you know, you're, you're a bit weird and you've got some interesting stories to share because you're a bit weird. But if you think about a sitcom like Friends or Seinfeld or even Community, which I mean, I'm not big Friends or Seinfeld fans, but I think Community is pretty awesome. I agree. If you, th if you think <laughs> about these sitcoms, most of the time, there's nothing really exciting or, you know, especially interesting going on. It's really the, the situations that the characters get into and the way that they deal with it in relation to each other, which makes it interesting and funny and makes you kind of want to tune in next time. And that what that feeling of wanting to tune in next time is exactly at the heart of vicarious transcendence. You're, you're feeling like you're part of something bigger than yourself and you want to be involved in it. Okay, so that's that's interesting. So, and I think that's a great reference point, obviously, community, big fan. So any reference to that, you got it. <laughs> So, okay, so they're not doing anything necessarily extraordinary. I mean, it is just a community college, and, and maybe they go through some wacky stuff. But, like, again, a lot of that is just, like, maybe day-to-day -day stuff, but it's the way the story is unfolding that makes it captivating. Is that – am I getting the right idea there? Yeah, exactly. Okay, so with that in mind, then, like, is there something that – because that seems like that's very relevant on things like maybe, like, if we're creating certain types of content is to – then it sounds like the, the learning lesson is tell a story. Like, always tell a story. Um, yeah. Um, you don't always have to tell a story, but telling a story is obviously very powerful. And if you don't tell a story, you can use the structure of a story in your copy all the same. So what I do is I also talk about how you can abstract a story into a structure that you can kind of impose onto any kind of content, which I call narrative structure for obvi obvious reasons. And the idea there is that you, you're starting off 
reasonably low at a reasonably low ebb and you're moving up in towards some kind of inciting incident something happens um, maybe this is going to be your if you're writing a sales page for example this is going to be your headline and your lead and then you you're gradually raising the action by talking about the various things that your prospect needs to know that especially in terms of things like benefits and um, fascinations and then your guarantee and by the time you get to your call to action the the action as it were has risen to a peak point and then you've got this kind of um, climax at the call to action and then a denouement where you get down uh, into some kind of after effect something happens at the end you find out what happens after you click the call to action you continue on your uh, your quest as it were and this kind of structure can be abstracted to a sales page, can be abstracted to an email, can be abstracted to an email sequence. Um, yeah, any kind of thought sequence that you can put your prospect through, you can usually put a narrative structure onto it. Are, are there any best practices? Like, is there a significant difference between like a short form type scenario? Like, okay, how to do it like on an about page or in this quick, you know, versus like a long form like blog post or email or, or something like that? Well, an about page is actually an interesting example because an about page I would consider to be a relatively middle form. wouldn't necessarily be long, but it, I wouldn't tend to make it short. So I actually have kind of a, a, a sort of, I don't, know if, don't know if method is the right word for writing about pages, but I, I have a good idea of what I'm doing when I write about pages, and it's really telling a story. So the idea there is to kind of walk your prospect through how things got started, um, what went wrong, what went right, and how it all kind of reached this climax where we are now, and how you can be part of that. And again, it's trying to get your prospect vicariously trans, trying, trying, yeah, vicariously involved in your story. So that's actually a good example of how you can do it, but it does take a little bit more space. If you're doing it with something really short, like um, probably you won't be able to do it on a a short homepage where you've say got a headline and a, a single paragraph but what you can do is you can use the homepage as the kind of setup and then the call to action represents the kind of inciting incident the, the homepage call to action is the inciting incident and once your prospect clicks that then they go through to a longer section and then they might go through a, an entire sequence of pages on your site which gradually raise the action to the point that they're actually ready to buy or not necessarily buy, but more likely give you their contact details so that you can continue to follow up with them. So the narrative structure is, because it's abstracted, it can kind of gradually keep raising the action through these inciting incidents and uh, climaxes, which kind of are the same thing when you look at it in terms of an overall sequence. So one page's climax might be the next page's inciting incident, for example. And this is something that I talk about in terms of the three different types of copy. Um, I, I separate copy out into lasso copy, which gets your prospect reading, um, cotton copy, which is what your prospect mostly reads, and then action copy, which gets your prospect acting. But the thing about action copy and lasso copy is that they're really just one kind of copy. They're really just getting your prospect to move forward in the thought sequence. So there are, although I explain it in terms of three different types of copy, in the end it turns out there are only actually two. And essentially, they are the, the main copy and the connecting bits of copy. When it comes to things like video or other forms, is it the same, same rules apply here? I think so, because people ask me about video, like video is fundamentally different from copy. But it isn't really. Um, 
copywriting is just the way that I teach copywriting anyway, the way that copywriting should be taught is copywriting is just telling your prospect what they need to know. It, it's not fundamentally different from speaking to them. If you could speak to them one-on-one, -on -one, you would, because obviously that would be more effective. So what you're doing is you're essentially trying to emulate that in a way which can be broadcast to everyone. And whether you do it with words that they have to read or words that they listen to while they watch a video isn't really very important. It's still the same fundamental communication. Are there any places where people get like tripped up when it comes to something like this um, where it could be done wrong and in a way that's obviously not beneficial? Yeah, I think that one of the big ones, it, probably for me actually, one of the big ones that I started out was you can take it too far and you can kind of get so wrapped up in the persona that you're creating. So when you, when you do this, you obviously need to be, it's a bit like stage acting. Your prospect can't see you very well in the sense that he isn't right there in the room with you. So he's only really got, even if you're doing video, it's still relatively... Uh, removed or detached especially in copy though he only really has the text on the page to judge what you're saying he doesn't have eye contact and hand movement and body language and tone of voice and all that kind of thing so it's a bit like stage acting in the sense that you have to be a bit over the top you have to kind of exaggerate to make the same effect but you can take that too far and end up just sounding like a bit of a dork and it will appeal to some people, but a lot of people will be put off and they'll think, you know, this guy, he, he's just a bit too full of himself. And that, I think, is the main danger, is that when you're doing this, because you are the one that people are supposed to be feeling epic by being in proxy to, or being a, trans, a, a, a proxy for their epicness, you might say, you can become too focused on yourself and you can get too full of yourself. And, I mean, it's it's a fine line between making your prospects feel like they're bigger than themselves because they're associated with you and making your prospects feel like you just think the world's about you. In what way would could you, like, perceive that, like, manifesting? Because that seems like that's something I obviously wouldn't want to come off, right? I don't want, like, here's why I'm the best. And I think I've, I think there's probably places where I can I see that in copy or in how somebody's presenting themselves. And yeah, and probably in fact, me, I, th I think that this is effectively what happens with a lot of freelancers or, um, you know, entrepreneurs in general. They're trying to sell themselves because they recognize that what they're selling is ultimately about them rather than their offering, which is true. But because they haven't kind of gone through the process of thinking this through, what exactly is it that prospects want from me if I'm the one that they're interested in? they do have a tendency to come off like that guy at parties that only talks about himself. And so a lot of what I teach in Epic by Proxy is how to focus on what I call archety or archetypal features. Um, so you've almost certainly heard of archetypes being um, kind of somewhat abstracted ideas taken from plots or characters that, are, that they have these kind of common elements that always seem to work. So archetypal features are... Uh, maybe you could say abstracted out of archetypes, uh, they're essentially the active ingredients of archetypes that I think make them work. And we can talk more about that in a second. But basically what I do is I take these archetypal features and I say, don't talk about yourself. 
talk about these things because these are the things that people are interested in. And you can then also take the specific features that I identify and you can kind of put them into broader categories that can in turn describe a, a narrative of some kind. So for example, I, I talk about going through um, a typical narrative will go through a perfection, distortion, restoration arc. And in the process, it will often use magic, which is the third kind of broad category, uh, the fourth kind of broad category that I identify. So that's that's going to require a bit more explanation, though, because right there, it's just sort of hanging. And <laughs> can, can you can you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Okay. So archetypal features, as I've said, they're, they're kind of the active ingredient in what makes an archetype effective. So if you take a, an archetypal plot like Cinderella, um, you know, different people will identify it as different types of plot. Um, most people will call it a rags riches plot. Um, some people will identify it as other kinds. But the basic idea is that you can take that plot and you can use it in a lot of different stories. And a lot of different stories do use it in various ways. That different elements will be changed, but the fundamental ideas, the fundamental sequence of events stays the same. And the fundamental characters might stay the same as well. So you've got character archetypes in there. And you have you know things like the wise old man and the plucky young hero, those kinds of people tend to show up in a lot of different stories for obvious reasons, I guess. But what I talk about when I talk about archetypal features is I say, okay, you don't necessarily have time to write an entire, basically try to write an entire plot arc into your copy. And even if you are using really long form copy, which typically isn't a good idea, even if you're doing that, when you do it, it tends to come across badly uh, if your prospect has seen that kind of thing happen before. So obviously the first time they come across a plot archetype long form sales page where it kind of takes you through the entire hero's journey, they think, wow, this, this is really good. I, this sounds really familiar and it all feels kind of right because that's, that's how plot archetypes work. But then when they see everyone doing this, um, it really starts to lose its effectiveness. And this is one of the problems with marketing in general, is that once you start to overuse something that's very obvious, uh, when you know what to look for, it, starts, it stops being effective and actually kind of starts to be a bit annoying sometimes. So I, instead of talking about taking an entire plot archetype, I take out the. I look at what are the features in the archetype. What are the things that make it move forward? What are the things that make us care about the characters? What are the things that happen? And so I identify things like um, virtue and freedom, injustice, loss, betrayal. These kinds of things that, when you think about it, these are obviously very important ideas that we all care about. But they're not necessarily things that you would tend to think to put into your copy. They're not necessarily things that we think about every day. It, it's stuff that's kind of relegated to the realm of stories and maybe also the realm of academia even, which I think is a mistake. I think that you can put these things into, into copy and marketing in very interesting ways. So overall, what I identify is there are all of these features, but when you kind of break them down and look at how they fit together, they all fall into four basic categories. So the first category is what I call perfection, which is not necessarily absolute perfection. It's just things that we consider good, things that we want to be that way. So things like justice and freedom and childhood and family, and even what I call simple goods, which are stuff like um, 
you know, a, a nice steak, for example. Stuff that isn't important, but we enjoy them, and they're kind of a natural part of life that we enjoy. The second category is distortion, and often that kind of reflects negative uh, or opposite elements to the perfection, so injustice and loss and oppression or opposition, um, betrayal, split personality is an interesting one there um, that comes up surprisingly often in stories, especially superhero stories actually. Uh, Superheroes have a kind of split personality with their two identities. And, you know, even growing up, for example, can be a kind of distortion because you're losing something as you grow up, even though you're also moving towards a perfection by gaining something. Um, the third category is restoration. And so that is usually, obviously, that reflects a, a sequence. So you might have truthfulness after lies. You might have a harmonization after some kind of an imbalance or a conflict. Um, justice after injustice, that kind of thing. Um, it would also include things like getting rewards or redemption. Redemption, obviously, is a huge idea in um, the human psyche. And then, as a that, that kind of that basically describes your typical story. It, it moves from some kind of perfection where everything's fine to a distortion where everything isn't fine, and you have to try to get back to where it's fine. And then the final part is the restoration, right? Can you and, capture all this like in a blog post? <laughs> you don't have to. No, no. I'm not, what I'm not what I'm not saying is that you have to go through the whole sequence. You don't have to go through perfection, rest, uh, perfection, distortion, restoration in a blog post. You might just focus on restoration. Or you might just focus on distortion. Or you might focus on perfection. Here's here's what you want. Here's the wonderful thing that, that um, I have recently learned, or whatever the case may be. And then the final the final category is what I call magic, which isn't necessarily, obviously, you know, actual magic. It's any kind of basically secret knowledge. This is kind of the glue that holds the archetypes together very often in a story. So it's things like discovery and secret knowledge and special abilities and advanced technology and tools and, and even things like benefactors, people who help you out, um, people who kind of move you along the way or give you special skills that you need, that kind of thing. So those are the kind of four general categories. And you asked about, you know, do you have to have all of this in a blog post? And I said no. And the reason that um, I say that is that I actually kind of, I came up with most of these ideas not by looking at movies or TV shows or, you know, classic novels or anything like that. I do start by talking about Cinderella because that's obviously something pretty much everyone knows. But when I looked at this, I was thinking, how do we take the idea well, maybe that's not the best way to start not so much how do we take the ideas because obviously there are cool ideas and stories we want to use but how do we find a way or an analogy for copy that is really powerful that exists out there in the world and isn't long so the problem with movies they're, they're like two hours you don't want your prospect to have to be reading copy for two hours same thing with novels. Novels are long. Novels take even longer to read. Um, short stories are still usually fairly long. And so when it comes to writing copy, what is a good analogy that you can use that there's some kind of... Is there some kind of medium out there, some kind of content which people love to consume and only takes them a couple of minutes? And so I focused on music and I focused on... Um, viral videos because both of those tend to be short 
and both of them get massive, massive followings, huge fans. People want to read them, read them. People want to consume them over and over again. And viral videos are a great example because there is such a strong element of vicarious transcendence there in the sense that when you feel something makes you really feel epic, you want to share it because you want other people to be part of that as well. And so the elements of viral videos that, that kind of create that vicarious transcendence are really important. But the same is true with music. Obviously, you, you want people to like the songs that you like because they make you feel a certain way and you, you want to feel that connection with other people through the song. So the song is very strong for vicarious transcendence. So in my course, and I make no apology for this, I look at country music because I'm a big country fan. And country music, in my opinion, has more archetypal features than most other kinds of music. So usually it... Well... I should actually qualify that some country music does. Some country music is pure crap, and you shouldn't listen to it, and it's mostly sung by men. And the kind that isn't pure crap is either sung by old men or women for some reason. And that stuff usually has a lot of archetypal features, and it's going to be talking about... It doesn't try to sugarcoat life, but it doesn't pretend that life is like all terrible either. So it's kind of just realistic. And obviously that doesn't apply to every single song, but it... It contains a lot of elements of humor. It contains a lot of elements of <laughs> things like, you know, alcoholism. Um, so alcoholism obviously is a distortion. Um, and you can kind of take these ideas out of, and I, I analyze a whole number of songs. And you, you don't have to listen to the songs. I, I can, I, I take them and I'd say, here's what's in them. But I do encourage people to listen to them so they can see how it works. Uh, if you really hate country music, then don't. That's fine. But um, I take the ideas out of them and I say, here are what I think the features are, and here's how I think they work, and let's try to put these together and then see how they work in copy. That's interesting. So are there any like tips or tricks in terms of like how they should be incorporated? And I know that's also a challenge to say that, but I, like, I wonder if there's something I could implement like tomorrow on my next newsletter or well, my next blog post. I could try to incorporate something, like anything that would be like that you could say, yeah, well, try, try this. Any thoughts on that? Right. So say you're writing a newsletter. Um, the first thing that I would do is I would try to identify or if you, if you have a topic in mind, I would try to identify does this topic fall into one of these kind of four general categories of archetypal features? Does it reflect some kind of, say, let's, let's say it's about a tool that you've recently discovered and you can say, well, that's kind of, that's the magic category. It's, there's an element of discovery there. There's an element of secret knowledge um, and advanced technology. And at that point, you have kind of a basis for looking at how are those kinds of features used effectively in stories or in music or in movies, anything that you enjoy. What, is, what are some... Let's take movies for an example because you probably won't find... Um, it's so much in, in music, at least the music that I listen to, but what are some movies that I have enjoyed which have involved that kind of thing? And then you can either say, all right, what happened in the movie? What, what's one thing that happened in the movie that I can kind of translate into a blog post in the sense that I can kind of map over some stuff from my life onto the same format? Or you could actually use the movie as a stopping point an initial opening to kind of segue into what you've described. So that's one of the 
way that I love to do emails is to, to let other people do all the work for me and say like, all right, um, Interstellar. Everyone's seen Interstellar. Interstellar involves some kind of secret knowledge which is sent back through time and so on. And so you could tell the story or you, you could just describe some of those key elements of Interstellar. People are like, oh, yeah, I know Interstellar. That was a cool movie. And you're kind of um, rousing them into that feeling of vicarious transcendence through the movie, not even having to do any work yourself. The movie did all the work for you. And then you, then you can segue into saying, hey, this is... I think this is an analogy for what I've just discovered. What I've just discovered is a bit like how Murph must have felt when she saw that clock, um, the hand on the watch moving backwards and forwards in Morse code. That's how I felt when I saw this tool. And then you can describe how the tool is kind of similar and what it did. So that would be one way of kind of making a, a concrete connection between these archetypal features and, and other kinds of media and just kind of putting it all together. That's interesting. So like that's definitely super simple. And I think I've done that using other like movies or stories or something like that. Yeah, and, and people have people I think overthink this because we do it by accident all the time because it's part of our psyches. It's how we're built. So I'm not teaching you anything that isn't kind of already in there. I'm really just giving a structure to what you already want to do. Yeah. Interesting. That's awesome. Well Nan, hey man, I really appreciate your insights into this. I know we've we're coming up to the top of the hour here. But is there any other place where people can reach out to find more of your work? If they're interested in this topic, where can they go? Well, if they're interested in this particular topic, then they can certainly have a look at the course page, Epic by Proxy. Um, unfortunately, it isn't actually at epicbyproxy.com, which is an oversight on my part. So if you go to copywritinglaunchcode.com, all one word, and then slash epic, so copywritinglaunchcode.com slash epic, that will kind of outline the whole course for you and show you uh, maybe if you haven't understood everything that I've said or you want to go back and hear something again. Um, a lot of that stuff is in the, the sales page there and explains everything for you. And obviously, if you want to buy, you can buy. And if you don't want to buy, that's fine. Well, Nan, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches with us. Mm, glad to be here. Thanks, Tom. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please do me a favor and go to tomworkus.com slash iTunes. That's T-O-M-M-O-R-K-E-S dot com slash iTunes and leave a rating and review for In the Trenches. Not only do I read and appreciate every review, but it helps spread the word of this podcast and allows me to continue to get on great guests. So thank you for your support and I'll catch you on the next broadcast of In the Trenches.